You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In the spirit of reconciliation, we are theatre and Theatrically Allowed acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hello and welcome back to the We Are Theatre podcast. Uh, I am here with David and Andy from Phantom the Opera, currently here in Australia. And this is one of those shows that I've been wanting to cover for ages because it is such an iconic show in the musical theatre realm. Uh, Andy, David, welcome. Thank you. Um, what I want to do just before we jump into the show, Andy, do you want to start this one off? Um, how did you get into performing and being on stage? What was your kind of journey to being where you are today? Gosh, it's in the deep distant past, but um, it was it started at school, of course, when I was nine, started school plays and then started uh, when I went to high school, there was plays with music and then I was extremely lucky Um in that in my little hometown of Sherbourne in Dorset, which is in southwest England, they used to put on opera on every summer with professional singers and professional orchestra. And we, the school kids and the people of the town, would provide the, the chorus. And I did that for five or six years. And that was a real falling in love with opera um, thing, um, which was, you know, just the way the cards fell for me, which was really great. Bearing in mind, of course, the Phantom of the Opera is not an opera. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, I went to uh, to university and I kept singing, did lots of musical theatre, went to Guildhall, did lots of singing there and just worked my way through that way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Amazing. Um, David, how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, well, it's even more in the dim, distant past than, than Andy, being slightly his senior. Um, so last century, sometime last century, I, um, yeah, same thing. Interest um, sparked at school, obviously, um, and a, a sort of interest in mainstream theatre, but also I always, you know, loved musicals. And, um, you know, I went to NIDA um, as soon as I finished school and then, yeah, just sort of kept going from there, um, working in musicals, but also in in film and TV and um, straight theatre. So, yeah, but musicals and and actually latterly opera too, strangely, or operetta, which again isn't really the real thing, but had a little bit of um, experience with um, the Merry Widow and things like that at um, Opera Australia. So yeah, 
It's been a, a long journey, but a very satisfying one and very happy to be back in Phantom of the Opera. Speaking of that, it's a great segue. Um, <laughs> how, what was everyone's introduction to Phantom as a show? How did you guys first, was it viewing it or was it being in it? What was your first introduction as um, a person to Phantom of the Opera? I first, I was taken to it in 1986, I think, by my mother, uh, who uh, was so annoyed that she'd come very late to Cats that she was decided she was going to get Phantom right on time and got very early tickets. And we actually saw Michael Crawford doing Phantom. Um, and I think I don't think it was Sarah Brightman. I think it was uh, she was off, <laughs> busy with, busy with the Lord. Um, and uh, but um, yeah, so it was very very early days. I first saw Phantom, um, and I have some memories of it, of course. And we got the tape. It was the tape in those days, and I listened to it endlessly, endlessly. Um, and I always, you know, I did Les Mis and things like that in my career and other musicals, but I always missed Phantom which is odd with my operatic background. You think I'd be, I'd be in it, but I never quite had the opportunity and didn't think I ever would. And here I am. <laughs> um, yes, I also had the cassette, the double cassette um, of, of Phantom and, uh, and listened to it. And then I was, um, I was lucky enough to be cast in it um, about 18 months into the original Australian production. So I wasn't in the original, original cast, but then about 18 months in, um, they were looking for a replacement, Monsieur Andre. And um, I auditioned. And um, as part of that audition, I you know, was flown to Melbourne and I got to see the show. Didn't have to pay for it, which was wonderful. Uh, because you couldn't get a ticket in those days, as you can't these days either. It was, yeah. it was a sellout. And um, as we luckily are too at the public. But so I got to see it then um, with the, and watching it with the mind that I was going to be in it and hopefully playing that role, which indeed I did get and then spent six months during the initial Melbourne season playing Monsieur Andre um, opposite a wonderful actor, um, Louis Fyander, who was um, a great Australian actor who'd had a wonderful West End leading man career and then came back here and we were the two managers just for six months. And then again, four years later, we came and um, we did The End of Sydney um, after it had played in Sydney, something like three and a half years, just incredible, mind-blowing. So we, we did the final stint of that. Um, and now I get to come back, that's, you know, 25 years later, and strangely, I'm playing the older manager. I don't, I don't know how that's happened. But, Weird. Um, <laughs> Strange. It is. You know, I don't know how Quirk that of casting. Quirk. Um, <laughs> but very happily um, playing Monsieur Fierman now opposite my partner in crime, Monsieur Morton. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like you're reading my notes because my next question is, who are your characters? Do you want to give us a bit of insight as to who you are on stage in this show? We'll start with you, David. Um, uh, gosh, if only we knew who we were. No, um, I um, yes, yeah, so I'm Monsieur Fierman, who's the, um, the, the thing with the managers is it's it's um, they very much a double act, but they're very individual within that. Um, they, um, Monsieur Firmin is more the business end of the partnership um, and perhaps less interested in the art, more interested in, in the box office. Um, so, and I suppose the, the sterner and more serious of, of the two um, is, is a fun character to play because, of course, as soon as you, you have all that, that, what you consider sternness and authority, it's immediately undermined as soon as we step on stage by people paying no attention to us. And then, of course, the Phantom upending the whole proceeding and, you know, insisting that it's his theatre, not ours. So 
for a character like Pierre Man, that's incredibly angering and befuddling. Um, and it's quite fun to play that sense that he's 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 got a great self sense of his self-importance, which um, is, you know, ridiculous, really, because he has absolutely no control over anything. Um, so I think that's that's a picture of, you know, and that's probably why I'm playing it, because I have very little control over things too. <laughs> Yeah, it was very interesting because the wonderful director, uh, the American director, Seth Sklarkheim, who uh, was directing us through this revival of the Lawrence Connor, uh, re you know, remake of Phantom, which is what this is. He said to us about the second day of rehearsal, he said, listen, listen, everyone, you've been cast for who you are already. Stop working so hard trying to be someone else, just be yourselves. And this is about 10 minutes after he told me that not only was I interested in the ballet girls, but that Monsieur Andre was interested in the ballet boys as well. I'm like, hang on a minute. Uh, that's a bit <laughs> cheeky. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, that was fun. So we don't have to work too hard, do we, David? I'm playing sort of over-the-top, slightly flouncy, arty, <laughs> right-up-himself, aristocratic-sounding chap with a moustache. Um, so, yeah. Just turn up, really. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whack on some different clothes, jump out on stage, yes. happy days. <laughs> Even worse, no makeup required whatsoever. Yes. Um, a fun one for you guys. How would you summarize your characters' relationships with the Phantom uh, in one word? One word, God. Yeah. Mm. On the spot, I know, but... Um. Well, as I say, I'm sort of befuddled by him, but that doesn't quite put it strongly enough because ultimately, you know, we're, we're ruined by him. Um, it is hard to put it into one word because we, we actually do. We did put, you know, a few minutes of thought into trying to make some sort of journey of, the, of our relationship with, with him from being not terrified but bemused or amused mm. even initially, particularly in the first manager scene where we're just, you know, I say, this is a joke. And you say, oh, you know, it's, we don't take it seriously and we don't take him seriously. And the progression then, um, and I can certainly see, I hope I'm doing the same, but I can see it in Andy's performance, which is very funny of this, this you know, person who is supremely confident in the opening and by the end is just completely destroyed by everything that this this um, man is doing to us. Um, it's very funny too. It's the, the rug is um, pulled out from underneath us completely. Is that one word? That, yeah, look. <laughs> Several. <laughs> It's because we don't have anything to do much with the Phantom. We meet him no, once no, on yeah. stage when he walks into the masquerade scene and hands us the score of his new opera. Um, and that's the only time we actually get to meet him. Other than that, he's a voice in our heads almost. He's just like the letters we get from him and this this presence. It's one of the reasons it's such a brilliant piece, really, is that the, the Phantom is more in people's minds as all good ghosts are you yeah. know and he only has like 17 minutes on stage i think phantom throughout the whole piece he's just this presence um yeah. as david says that that's just far more enriching dramatically than actually having someone there all the time because what our minds create of course is far more fantastical and terrifying than the truth um so yeah we're just gonna meet him once and um he's uh, josh peterman it's fantastic fantastic yeah. phantom that we got um and we just cower really in front of his might don't we yeah. and then he makes the whole stage burst into flame and we whimper yes. off 
I mean, I must say that in this production, as opposed to the original How Prince production, he is he's more of an earthly presence. There was a certain sense in the original production of him being mysterious and ethereal. Um, but this is very much a living man. We endow him with ghost-like qualities and spectre-like qualities. But in fact, and and there are bits plotted into this where you see you see the man. He's sort of disguised as a stagehand, shady in the in the shadows, hanging around. Whereas in the original production, he really was just this voice and this presence, which which gave him a magic, but made it much less real. Um, the whole. Um, emphasis of this production, Lawrence Connor's production, as directed by Seth Starhine, our, our director, is um, is that it's much more real and tangible and set within a theatre. So um, all all the 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 um, interplay between people is much more based on a a reality of trying to you know um, affect each other as actors, etc., and as characters. Um, the manager's office, for example, is in the original production is just in a big black void. Yeah. Um, and, and the movement in it is is more abstract, to to put it kindly. Um, this it's very it's it's in a you know a working office. There are yeah. working props. There are and and the interactions between us all during the manager's scene and prima donna are very much based on you know normal human re, um, interaction, albeit singing, but yeah. um, still, it's it's much more directed and targeted in that sense. Yeah. I think this musical also isn't in a weird, in one of those unique places where um, it has had that much time to go through several adaptations and different forms of the production. What do you think it is about Phantom that makes it still a, a staple in many theatre realms? Like we've just heard about it closing on Broadway after 32 years. Like not many shows make it that long. <laughs> I think, yes. I think. Like, what do you think? Astonishingly long lived. I mean, especially as one of the originals, you know, way back when, when musical theatre was exploding onto the scene and becoming this, the driver behind the rebirth of the West End and Broadway, really. Um, fundamentally, it's down to Andrew Lloyd Webber's stupendous score. Um, the man can write tunes. And at this period of his life, they were just pouring out of him. Uh, really, and you just go from fantastic melody to fantastic melody, and it's that's what drives any great piece of musical theatre, along with um, a really strong, uh, tight uh, book, you know, the story, and some fantastic um, libretto, some fantastic poetic, um, expressive words to sing to these great tunes, and once you've got those things, really. I think it's astonishing it's taken this long for a new production, actually. And I, I think it's testament to what Angelo Weber wrote and created that you're getting this almost operatic style, let's redo it in a different way. And it has the depth to have a re-examination of itself as a, a piece of drama. And it took that. It was amazing. So it's, it's really good. David. <laughs> <laughs> Ah oh, no, I I completely agree with all of that. I mean, it's the score, it's the it's the romance, I suppose, of, of the story. Um, even though he's a psychopathic, you know, murderer, um, our hero, but somehow, you know, that that tale of I suppose it's Beauty and the Beast in in a sense too. It's a it's a classical romantic tale. Um, there's a great deal of of um, sub, submerged 
eroticism within the piece too, um, all his longings and then, you know, because it's set in the Victorian period where all that sexuality was very much repressed and so that there's sort of echoes of that throughout the period uh, and throughout the production. Um, so, yeah, I think all those things, it's, you know, mm. it's and it's beautiful to look at. Oh, um, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, the, the costumes, we're using still the original costume designs of Maria Bjornsson, and they're just beautiful, beautiful period costumes. Um, and it's a very spectacular production. Ours probably, well, a different sort of spectacular from the original production. We've got this huge, moving, revolving set and pyrotechnics for days. I've never seen so many explosions. It's like, you know, New Year's Eve on Sydney Harbour uh, production. Um, it's, it's, it's quite astonishing, really. So, you know, there's spectacle, there's romance, there's a wonderful score. It's all those sort of things. Yeah. And, the, the and wonderful performances from... Uh, of course, from everyone. Oh. Uh, but, but the romance, this new production, the romance is, is brought to the fore by the casting. It, it seems very deliberate. Um, for example, the, the Carlotta, who's this sort of caricature of a, of a sopra operatic soprano who's normally very much the, the the antidote to christine's beauty and youth and freshness and musical theater sound but actually Giuseppina, who's playing her just fantastic is younger and much more of a threat to christine they're much more equal um and the same is true of raul the count who's Christine's love interest and the Phantom. The Phantom is not an older man by any stretch of the imagination. Look at Josh Peterman, yeah. young, virile, good looking chap, apart from the disfigurement. So it's a much more intimate and fresh take on that romantic story, yeah. uh, which makes it much more alive, I think. Yeah, uh, that is a really interesting thought there. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, like looking at all the different aspects that you can look at. You look at ages. It's not something mm. that I picked up on until you just mentioned it there. That's, mm. that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, getting to sit in a rehearsal room, um, David, for your third time in this show, Andy, getting to see this production come together um, and end up where it is now. What were some of the kind of highlight moments in a rehearsal room for you guys, kind of seeing things come together to what it is before all the the glitz and the glam went together uh, well for me it was it was just fascinating to see the different decisions as, as andy was speaking about having a new production where different choices are made or different emphases uh, are made and it was fascinating to see of course that's what a great idea to do it in that particular way as opposed to the way that it was done in the original um there's bits of the original that are, are brilliant decisions too but it's really interesting when you see a particular interpretation um just subtly change how how the piece works so i think that was the most enjoyable part of of the rehearsal process for me um plus actually i mean as a replacement when I did it originally in 1992, I didn't really have a rehearsal process because I had, you know, a week, the two managers, you know, Lewis and I had, you know, sort of a week with the, the choreographer and the director sort of by ourselves really. And then we yeah. just sort of put in. So this was much nice, nicer to sort of create it organically from, from the ground up. Andy. Thank you. And, <clears throat> um it was a fascinating period for me because I actually hadn't been on stage for 10 years. Um, I've been directing operas for 10 years and um, I turned up, actually I turned up two days late because I was sick, which didn't help. And uh, it was, I was, it was quite daunting, I have to say. 
um, to be surrounded by all these people who had been in the musical theatre world in Australia, about which I knew very little, to be honest, having come from England 10 years ago as well. Um, and I suppose, just begging his presence, the, the nicest thing for me was actually working with David, because um, obviously we're on stage the whole time together. And uh, it was uh, a wonderful, pretend not to hear this, David, but it was just so <laughs> wonderful to be with somebody so professional and so nice and welcoming and helpful. And uh, I really felt very supported um, to be in the presence of the great David Whitney. Um, and just, and, and, and to be honest, we get on like a house on fire because we both have the same filthy sense of humor. Um, and, uh, and that's great. And, and we very quickly, you know, built up a rapport, which I yeah. think from what I've heard really comes over on stage that these are two guys who um, have uh, a good time uh, together <laughs> and a whale of a time while working hard. Um, yes. <laughs> and I think that comes over very, very well. Um, but it, the whole cast um, and the whole team were very welcoming and lovely. And there's a lovely bunch of people, actually. And it's been that's been the nicest thing, really, is, is finding myself in this world and swimming, not sinking. Which has been great. Yeah. Thank um, you for that, Andy. I'll give you the, um, the 50 bucks later on. <laughs> um, Another unique thing apart, uh, another unique thing in regards to the Sydney season that you guys have just done is doing Fan of, of the Opera in an opera house, um, which is also very unique here in Australia, let alone other parts of the world as well. So what was that like getting to kind of put that into a space where it was kind of almost designed to be um, from a story perspective as well? Um when you like yeah i i i felt like i i saw it on broadway a couple of years ago and then moving into the opera house i felt like it kind of just had a different sense of gravitas to it with the way it kind of just sat in that space so what's it like on stage for you guys to put that into that area as well oh well um i mean it it's I mean, the Opera House is it's a strange beast because, as we all know the history of it, the, that theatre where we are, the, the Joan Sutherland Theatre, was, was not, it wasn't the original intention that that was going to be the, the grand theatre for, for opera. So it's, um, it's got its limitations backstage, let's put it that way. So it's, it's a tricky exercise, first of all, to fit the thing onto that stage, onto a very tiny stage. The job our crew do is extraordinary They're, because all the sets, which cha change abundantly behind the revolve um they're all either hanging up there and they've got to move them within seconds and it's quite a jigsaw puzzle backstage so there's that practical aspect of it the thing i find most exciting though is looking out to the audience because the sense of occasion that they feel being at the opera house is 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 just wonderful to to watch um, and we see them, we see them after the show and they've, you know, bought the, the beautiful program um, and, you know, the merchandise. And there's a real sense with this audience that it's, it's an event um, yeah. at the Opera House. And that is what I find most exciting. The, um, I always come out and look at the monitor with our conductor and I can see the audience behind him before the show starts. And the sense of anticipation and excitement um, for these people, for our audience who paid a lot of money, let's, you know, be praying to, to see this at the Opera House. Um, it's, it, you know, it, it's our job, therefore, to deliver a wonderful show, which I think we do, but it's, we get a lot back from the amount that they uh, have invested in it as an event coming to this iconic building. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that must, I reiterate that thing about the set. I mean, they're literally hanging the set from the rafters backstage to get it out of the way and then bringing it in and unloading it, putting more set, putting it back up the rafters and bringing the new set on like that. And of course, the other piece of set, which is fantastic, is the, the famous chandelier, the character that no one ever mentions. And yeah. the Opera House have, I think, done a fantastic job because it's such an iconic building. And the, of course, the chandelier is not behind the stage, it's in the auditorium. So I think there were some discussions, because <laughs> it was quite tricky to persuade this, the Opera House that this was absolutely crucial and that the chandelier had to be there. And of course, in the original production, the chandelier is there and swings down and into onto the stage. And our chandelier doesn't do that. Straight down, boom, uh, with fireworks flying off. It is the best chandelier, I think, ever. Yeah, it's it's really spectacular as it comes in um, at the end of Act One. It, it's it's a real tour, a tour de force. There's no other way to describe it. <laughs> no, it's quite a water relief. So that's one of my things. You forget to, I mean, Andy and I have worked in that, or Andy not on stage, but but as a director has worked in that theatre a lot, and I've worked in that theatre in recent years a lot, and you sort of, it, one doesn't take it for granted, but when you've got people like our, our director, Seth, from New York, and, and Nina, the, the choreographer, so excited that they are making their debut as, as directors and creative people on the stage of the Sydney Opera House. Um, you, it's easy for us to sort of take for granted that the amount of um, kudos that comes with that. And, and um, it's, it's an extraordinary privilege, really, which yeah. we have to remember. And we have the best dressing rooms in oh. the world. <laughs> we are lucky enough to inhabit these dressing rooms that look out over the water and we can just sit there on a matinee day looking at the sails and the boats and the it's just it's extraordinary. <clears throat> yes. So we're yeah. very, very lucky people. One of a kind. Um, so let's strip it back to individually um, favourite moments. So I'm going to get you to pick two. One where you're on stage and physically in the scene and then one maybe you're in the wings or don't have much participation and you kind of get that moment to sit back and watch something happen. Um, what would be your two favourite moments in this behemoth of a show? <laughs> okay. Well, I've got one or two. Um, <clears throat> my favorite, One of my favourite moments is the moment when we've just arrived, actually. <clears throat> These managers have just bought the opera, bought the theatre, and they're walking into a, a rehearsal, which is of Hannibal, to be introduced as the new owners. And obviously, um, the, the phantom drops something from the roof and the, the lead lady, Carter, runs off. And um, we're left with no singer until someone says, this girl from the chorus can sing it, ballet girl can sing it. And we're like, what? A chorus girl? That's what he says. And there's this fantastic moment where they're going, let her sing for you. And I, as the new artistic director, have to decide whether to let her sing. And it's the power of this moment. It's just sitting on this moment, everyone's looking at you and you're going, am I going to let this girl sing? And I could just end the evening there by going, <laughs> no. <laughs> but the power of that is just fantastic. <laughs> no, <laughs> end of show. Um, but of course I say yes, and very well. And she sings. And that's my favorite moment because we've got this just 
gorgeous Christine called Amy Manford who sings. And every time she starts singing, think of me, think of me fondly. And it gives me goosebumps because of the moment, because of this emerging voice, she starts off very nervously. And it just, this beautiful spun web of vocal gorgeousness comes flying out of her. And it just gets me every time. And she's just amazing. And I turn to David and we go, on with the show, bang. She'll be all right. She's on, you know. <laughs> She's on, yeah. That's, yeah. that's one of my favorite moments on stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, I think, well, I, as I mentioned before, I do, I do love second managers, which um, is just so much fun to play. It's when everything's just falling apart and we're <laughs> bickering. We don't bicker with each other, which I quite like. The, the two managers sort of retain a united front, but we're bickering with everybody. The bit where Andy, quietly, it's not part of the script, but he tells poor Carlotta to go over there and sit in the corner and the, the transition of that from his him adoring Carlotta at the very beginning of the play to oh go away you silly old thing at the end it's just I, I love that disintegration of everything I just think it's and it's it's great fun to play sometimes too much fun but um it's, <laughs> but it and but it's all there on in the score that's the great thing the score provides us with the means to do that we don't actually have to do anything but sing the score um, which is which is great. Um, so that's my favourite moment on the stage. I think um, I, off stage, I get to sit there in this production. The, the boxes revolve on and off the the theatre boxes, and I get preset in one of them to revolve on quite early. Um, during, while Amy's singing, wishing wishing you were somehow here again, and then that goes into the three of them singing. I don't even know what it's called, but that. Um, um, three of them, which which has as a new part, um, Blake Bowden as Raoul has a glorious vocal part yeah. as the three of them meet it at um, her, her father's gravesite. So it's Blake, Josh and Amy singing. And I'm sitting in the box waiting to be re- revolved on. And so I can't see anything. I'm in a black void, but I can just listen to the three leads singing just brilliantly together. They are so strong. They are so consistent vocally. They're extraordinary. They just, and it's, I mean, they're very well cast because it's, there's no reaching. They are, they are nailing it every single show. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to listen to. And that's a real privilege to sit there and yeah. just listen to them, you know, do their stuff. It's pretty impressive. Because, because for me, that same moment, I'm <laughs> in the auditorium. Because yeah. I have to come around and go oh, into the auditorium for that moment. So I've already slipped in and I'm actually watching that as a member of the audience, yeah. uh, getting that very same trio and seeing all the fire flaming around and yeah. um, so I get I get a grandstand view of that before I trot down but it's absolutely right it's it's a musical highlight when the three of them let rip it's just full-throated it's yeah. glorious yeah. absolutely glorious yeah I remember sitting there um and just feel like my body kind of just went full goosebumps and I was like yeah that's a vocal performance and a half right there it's fantastic yeah. um yeah just listening to all you even masquerade is one of my favorite moments and just that powerful uh, oh, just gives me tingles thinking about it. um but thank you so much andy and david for joining us that kind of wraps things up for us here so um anyone listening at home if you haven't gotten a chance to see this in sydney um are, are the tickets still available or is it sold out i was hearing rumors that it was Pretty much sure, sure you can get one if you really want one. 
Yeah, they may be the odd the odd one in Sydney, um, yeah. but we then do have you know quite a long Melbourne season um, yes. from um, November through till mid February, I think. Mm. I haven't put the or till late January anyway at this point, and then maybe <laughs> till mid February um, at the State Theatre in um, at the Arts Centre, which will also look glorious in. Yeah. So it's another beautiful theatre, but bigger, um, more seats. So um, that's definitely you know a place to see it. And Melbourne's you know Melbourne's a, a great theatre town in yeah. terms of supporting musicals. So we're hoping yeah. for <clears throat> another sellout down there. Yeah, Sydney siders who go for a weekend away. There you go. See everything that's down in Melbourne as well. But if you want more info on tickets, you can go to au.thephantomoftheopera.com for all the updates and ticket info there. We will be back very soon with a brand new episode of the We Are Theatre podcast. Thank you, Andy and David, for joining us. And we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.